Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. This week, we're going to continue with part two of a panel from the Pima County Public Library, Nuestras Raices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries, moderated by Dominique Calza with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique. This is part two of a two-part series. Bienvenidos, welcome, hello, nice to see everybody. Welcome to the ninth annual Tucson Festival of Books. My name is Dominique Calza. We wish to thank the friends of the Pima County Public Library for sponsoring this venue. Yes, thank you, thank you. Alvaro Enrique was a Coleman Center Fellow and a Fellow at the Princeton University Program in Latin American Studies. He has taught at New York University, Princeton, the University of Maryland, and Columbia. His work has appeared in the New York Times, The Believer, The White House Review, The London Review of Books, El País, among others. His most recent novel, translated into English, Sudden Death, was awarded the prestigious Herralde Prize in Spain, the Elena Poniatowska International Novel Award in Mexico, and the Barcelona Prize for Fiction, and has been translated into many languages. Thank you for being my little. Luis Urrea is a 2005 Pulitzer Prize finalist for nonfiction and a member of the Latino Literature Hall of Fame. He is the best-selling author of 16 books, including Into the Beautiful North, The Devil's Highway, and The Hummingbird's Daughter, winning numerous awards for his poetry, fiction, and essays, including the Lannan Literary Award, the Pacific Rim uh, Kiriyama Prize, and an American Book Award, among other honors. His novel, Into the Beautiful North, is a big read selection by the National Endowment of the Arts, has been selected by more than 30 different cities and colleges as a community read, is being developed as a series for TNT and the Water Museum, a collection of short stories, was a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award, and was named a Best Book of the Year by the Washington Post and Kirkus Review, among others. Luis, the borderlands have featured prominently in many of your writings, and Enrique, I know that you've spent some summers here, right, researching. Um, what is it about the borderlands that inspires your work? Oh, <laughs> it's getting good to me now. I'm ready to preach. <laughs> the, the, the thing about the border is, in a nutshell for me, is that the border is simply a metaphor. We're all separated. Their border fences running through this room right now, through this tent. And every audience I talk to is separated. And there are border fences all the time between us. Everybody who keeps telling you they are out there is helping you build a fence. And it, we're us. There's us. We are on this rock. And we're all going to die. And, you know, we're wasting so much time putting up imaginary fences constantly when we could find ways to, 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 to cohabit and to communicate with each other. I've, I've said elsewhere that writers often live out beyond the fence, and we spend our whole lives writing love notes and throwing them over the, the wall, hoping somebody will read them. And all you need to do is come on tour with me and look around and see if there isn't a difference, if there isn't a wall between black and white, brown and black and white, gay and straight, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, liberal, conservative, Trump, Hillary, Bernie. There are walls everywhere. And I have found out that Americans miss each other. 
Americans want to talk to each other, and I think we don't know how anymore. And so, you know, they put a, they put a, a you know, somebody like me up there to talk and see what happens. And uh, I think it's a miracle. I think it's a beautiful thing. And we, we have that opportunity to deal with that. All that being said, I am the border. Hijo, man, Tijuana. That's the border, dude. My mom was American. My dad was Mexican. My mom called me Louis. My dad called me Cabron. <laughs> and I was raised to speak Spanish and I was raised to speak English at the same time. And both of them were Nazis about it. Watching every inflection, every, oh, don't you dare, oh, grammar, oh, accent. It was impossible. I hated it. And now I thank God for it. I thank God for it. And we all have a border inside us. Somewhere you're going to find it if you just look. So that's the reason. Physically, yeah, the border. I don't like a lot of people who write about the border because I feel like they're not really from here. They don't really know about it. They don't care about it. Even some of my heroes, even some of my heroes who lived in Tucson, I felt had no compassion for the actual humanity of it. Um, I call it my day at the zoo writing. People go down to the zoo, check it out for a week, and then write a book about what the wacky little folks are doing down there. That's not what it's like. It's a real place with a real personality. You know, and either I think it's a bloody scar or it's a, a, a thing that links to, to fraternity cultures together. Um, and I want to think of the other side of that. And I've, I, I, I once said this whole spiel on stage with Charles Bowden, if you remember Chuck, and Chuck just said, oh God, what planet are you from? <laughs> so I have, I perhaps have a utopian view, but I do, I do believe that there's a lot more brotherhood available to us than we sometimes know how to accept. And uh, it works better when you have it, I think. I, I have a similar feeling. I, 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 I don't, I, I never, I, I always get in panels about historical novels and things like that and I don't, I, I never know how to answer the questions because I am not a historical novelist. No? Mm. I, I'm a novelist that works with an archive that, that is different. No? I, I write about the contemporary world. No? I, I, I really don't care about the life of Anne Boleyn. No? I, I, I care about <laughs> how, the, how the life of Anne Boleyn represents us, what we think about her now and how, how we deal with that. So. So the, the the novel in which I am working, I will not speak much about it because it's really bad juju for a book to speak about it before <laughs> yeah. it's finished. Yeah, but 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 I'm I'm under the impression I've, I've been living in the U.S. since the past century. I moved to graduate school in '98, and and I, I was married to an American for a long time before that. That so so I have this. I would never dare to. To, to stand in the border because I am a, a boy from Mexico City that lives in, in New York, you know? so so my experience of, of Mexicanity and Americanity yeah. is completely different. But 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 anyway, I I, I have li lived of my life in this trade between Mexico and the United States. Now my kids are are Mexican Americans. They they are Americans when they are in Mexico and Mexicans when they are here, which is a very mysterious thing. Now they are very Guadalupanos in, in New York and very Americans in Mexico City. No, it's, it's like the publishers thing. You know, where's the novel and where's the short story? In, in, anyway, I, I I have the feeling that, that I can say a few things yes. about how, how how close you are and how, how we can 
read each other you know, without this skipping this confrontative language that is used by the politicians. See, your, your, your experience, I'm guessing, is more American than Mexican in the sense that you went to school here. Yeah, no? yeah. But, but I, I, if I put a penny here for each time I hear a professor trashing the United States or an American politician speaking about the devil's empire in the United States and, and all of that, we would be millionaires. No, so, so, so the, the talking goes both ways. And, and, and I think that there are no two more similar countries. No, when I come to, to Arizona, I feel home. I feel absolutely home, not, not because he's that Mexican, because he's that Mexican and that American at the same time. So I, I, when I was, I, I, have, I, I have this problem with nationalities. I really like to be Mexican. I really, really like to be Mexican. My, 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 <laughs> my, my, my mom is a Spaniard and I have never asked for the Spanish nationality because you have to, to sign a document in which you swear loyalty to the king. No? And I, I believe in the French style, no? we decapitate kings. No? And I, when my grandmother used to ask me, no, why don't you become a Spaniard? I would tell her, we won that war. No, we won that war in 1821. I have the same relationship with the US. I live here. I love this country. I care about it. It's my second language, my home, my everything. But 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 I I still have a green card. No, I I, I was born Mexican and I will die Mexican. I'm not sure I should say those things in public. But but anyway, <laughs> anyway, I, 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 after a few years, the, the green card, someone with a green card that doesn't become American becomes suspicious. And it's, it's like, uh, are you, uh, 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 you must be a communist. You may be a Jewish boy from Mexico City. <laughs> you may be at a, why is it that you have not become American? Don't you love us? And I'm like, yes, I love you, but, but I'm, I'm Mexican. And so I had to write a letter you know, to renew my, my green card. And when I wrote that, that letter, I said, I, I'm writing this novel about the Apache War in Arizona. I, I'm, I'm working there. I'm working with an archive. And, and I think that that novel will say many things about us, no? uh, about us Mexicans and Americans working together. We, we only do together very shameful thing. No? That, that war, the Apache war, was, was maybe the, the most shameful thing both countries have done. And it's the only war yeah. we have fought together. No? The, only, the only war in which there has been full collaboration between the American army and the Mexican army was the Apache War, no? so, so when it's to, to inflict infamy, we're really good coming up together. No? So anyway, what I said in that letter was, I, I feel that I'm the only person that can write that novel, really. <laughs> no, I, I think that many things can be said about us together, living together, and pretending that we don't live together, because we have done that during the whole history. No, and, and I think that, that I, I can say it. No, so, so, so my interest in the border comes from there. No? It's maybe not, not the physical border or the historical border, but, but, but that space be, between history and reality in which we can really reflect ourselves. No, this latest novel that is translated to English is, is named Sudden Death. And it's a novel that speaks about the conquest of Mexico and about the life of Caravaggio, an Italian artist. Mm. And, and it, it's, it's, it's mainly situated in Europe in the 17th century. But it's a novel about the war on drugs in Mexico. It's, a novel, it, it, it's named Sudden Death, but, but it was named originally The Art of Decapitation. So, so it's a novel about the violence that, that hypercapitalism inflicts in us and, 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 and how... The, the random powers of the world end up 
destroying our lives. No? So, 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 so is, 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 is that space, the space I'm interested in for, with working with Arizona, I think that it reflects our dark side, our darkest side. And I think that if we see through it, we can find true heroism and, 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 and true moving things no? in, in that period of history. You are listening to a panel from the Pima County Public Library Nuestras Raices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries, moderated by Dominique Calza with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson, an audience member asked the authors how they decide what to write next. I'm, um, I'm lucky in that I get to dabble in all the genres almost at will. So um, I keep up a pretty steady stream of essay work and article work, which feeds the nonfiction side. I, I read a lot of poetry and, and write poetry. Um, as far as the fiction goes, you know, it's uh, uh, you're kind of free to have certain things catch your eye or your heart or your, your mind. I knew for much of my life I was going to write what turned out to be The Hummingbird's Daughter and its sequel, Queen of America, because it was my tia, and I, it was important to me to tell that story. Um, but other things, you know, come as they come, almost at, at random, into the beautiful north, um, you know, came because I had done so much incredibly heavy work with Devil's Highway and, and Hummingbird's Daughter, and I needed relief, and I wanted to laugh out loud. So my rule for that book was laugh every day. And I didn't know if I'd publish it or not, and then it turned out to be okay, and it's had this weird life, which has been gratifying. I have a new book, coming out, um, I believe, in spring 2018, um, called The House of Broken Angels. <coughs> and that was not a welcome arrival, but it was uh, inspired by my brother's death. My father was very Mexicano, old school, so I had a couple of families out there, like the children of Sanchez. <laughs> you know. And uh, the, so they, I'm, the, I'm the baby brother of a bunch of half-brothers. And the patriarch of the family, my brother Juan, was terminal and dying. And he was the person who first saw that I wanted to be an author. And he would pass me books. I didn't know my siblings, but I knew Juan. And um, so when, when he was dying two years ago, he knew he was dying. I don't think everybody else knew he was going to die so soon. But he threw himself a, a final birthday party. And it turned into what my wife and I call a, a Mexican Finnegan's Wake. Like every kind of Mexicano showed up. And every kind of behavior happened all at once. And some of it was wildly inappropriate and hilarious. And a lot of it was tragic. And it was all very beautiful. And I felt like I saw my brother in some ways for the first time. And uh, he was very weak. And so he would have to go to bed several times during this mad day. And he kept calling for me to come talk to him. And he kept saying, So I got in bed with him. And I thought, this is really weird. I'm lying in bed with my brother. But then everybody else found out. So they were dogpiling in there, you know. There were vatos, 
you know, and daughters and my sisters. And we have these dog piles with my little tiny brother in the middle. So happy. And that, you know, he died a week later. And uh, I was on tour. And after that happened, I came here. And it was pretty raw. And uh, I, I had done a C-SPAN broadcast here with Jim Harrison, the novelist. And it was in honor of Charles Bowden, who had died. A lot of death going on. And um, anyway, at the dinner afterwards, Harrison, who had been a hero of mine, literary hero anyway, sat down with me. And he said, tell me about your brother's death. And so I told him the whole story, all of it, stuff I haven't told you. And he just sat like this, looking up at the ceiling. And when I was done, he said, sometimes God hands you a novel. You'd better write it. And I thought, dang, when do you have a literary hero order you to write a book, you know? And then he died. Um, so I, I've been working on it. And it's, I'm really, I don't, I, I wrote beyond what I'm capable of writing. I know that. And I don't know what I'll do. I have a big project that I'm going to try to do after that. But this is the, this is the monster for me. And um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping to debut it here. It should be here, right? It's going to be out. We're trying to get it. We're trying to, I'm trying to get my publisher to agree. I, I tried before, and the time was always off by a month, and they wouldn't do it. But this time, I think I, I'm going to just start putting my foot down now and say, look, just unleash some early. Because it's got, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was hatched. It started here on stage in the ballroom, you know, and we need to... We need to, uh, yeah, we need yeah. to bring it back and close that circle. My brother would like that, you know, to see that story complete. So you just never know where ideas will come from. Sometimes, I'm sure, you just get a crazy idea and you think, what? Wow, that's interesting. Often in short fiction, it's that, or you'll see something, you'll say, hmm, I wonder what that is. I, I was telling the group earlier today, we were driving through Idaho one time, and there's a place where there are cliffs with years painted on them. 1922, 1964, all random. And they ended around 1999. And we drove through this place. And my wife said, write me a story about those numbers. I thought, are you kidding? What? But it turned into the first story in the Water Museum. So you just never know where something will, will show up for me. It's a mystery, no? Where they come from is a mystery. No? I, I could tell how each book that I have written began, no? in which moment I said I should be writing a novel about that. But, 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 but it's not that I can produce that miracle. No? There, there is like a back burner. burner. Mm. No, there, there is, when I get in the, the life of a novel, it's, it's, very, it's very peculiar. It's, it's like an animal that, that lives with you. No? It's like having a god. Uh, a god. Uh, <laughs> someone bring Lacan, please. A dog or a cat. No? So it's, it's something that lives with you for a long time. Yeah. Even when, when you are working on it just for a little while. No? That it, I'm very slow, so, so I, it takes me like between three and five years to write a novel. So, so, so I think that, that I finish one novel when I know which one will be the next one that I will write, if I didn't have the urgency to write the next novel, 
I could never finish the previous one, and I could yeah. be still writing my first novel, no? the death of an installation artist that could be 3,040 pages <laughs> by now. <laughs> so so, so there, there, there is a relationship there, and, 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 and many, many books dorm in you for a long time. Oh, no? yeah. they, they, they are like sleepers. They, they are, they're waiting for you to find certain maturity. Or I don't know what that, that, that lets you there to write them. No, but, but, but it's certainly a mystery, ma'am. I, I, I really don't know where they come from. Yeah, but, but, but it, it goes the other way around, too. No? When, when, when I moved, I, I moved to the U.S. As an adult, as an adult so, I, so I, I have it very clearly. No? And I grew up in, during the, the National Revolutionary Period in Mexico, so, so there, was not, there were no Rolling Stones in Mexico. No? There, there was no, no, no globalization, no anything. Mm. Mexico was a socialist, very close country. No? And, and I remember when I moved in the, in the 90s to the U.S., that, that what, what was more impressive to me was how religious people was. Mm -hmm. the, this thing that the, the president saying, God this and God that and God, God here and God there. The in the money, no, there is the, the God war, this in the morning. It's, it's, it's like the president goes to mass on Sundays. No? It's in Mexico, you could go to jail if you're the president and go to mass. No? Because that Mexico is a very like that word exists in English, like country, laicism. No, I'm inventing that word. I know, but but <laughs> the, the, the public, because the, the Catholic Church had so much power before the independence in, in Mexican territory, the government of Mexico is very, very anti-religious. So, so when you move to the U.S., the, the first thing that, that, that you think is Jesus, moving to a, a Christian country, you know, a super religious country. So, so it would be interesting to, to match those, those visions that, that, that look opposite, but are, but, but are, I think, as usual, complementary. You know, I, I think that there is much more we share than, than, than we don't. You know, we, we just have to, to, to deal with it. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, American evangelical Christianity is full of a, a lot of magical stuff to other people who think, wow, that's really strange stuff. Um, and I, I think it's just a question of perspective, but I think there's, you know, for example, my experience with my work that is erroneously dubbed magical realism, and I sat in no way, you know, certainly all, for example, in Hummingbird's Daughter and those books, all the alleged wonders and magical stuff is all actually eyewitness accounts that you can get out of archives if you dig far <laughs> enough, including military reports of generals and captains who saw her do things and said, what the heck is this? And wrote to Washington giving reports. Um, but for a really long time, I would have readers or, or folks I'd meet say, man, I wish I had some Mexican in me, you know, because it's so full of such cool, magical stuff, and my people just don't. And I said, well, what stock do you come from? Well, we're just Irish. So. <laughs> really? There's no magic in Ireland? <laughs> or people would say, well, we're German. I'd say, oh, yeah, there's nothing fabulous in German history. Are you kidding me? Or Scandinavia. I mean, we all have these beautiful, magical traditions and I think part of what happens is that some of us take them for granted as the real deal and the other stuff's kind of exotic but I promise you that the person you know the 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 person living in Kauai who believes in Maui the trickster thinks that some of the stuff we think is normal is kind of strange 
Um, and I think there's a kind of a, of, a, of a matrix of sacredness out there that unites all of us, and we don't agree on the particulars sometimes. But uh, I, I think the retablo thing is, is, is very interesting. And I, I don't know a whole lot of workers who spend a whole lot of their time you know, thinking about Saint so-and-so because they're working their asses off and they're trying to make money. But I know people do. My family, my, my elders in my family were very much that way, I think, and very, you know, crossing themselves for things. My own family, the Ureas, not so much. My grandmother wanted to be in good with God. I've told people this here before. She would send us to the Catholic Church to steal holy water. <laughs> She'd give us an empty aspirin bottle. Traiganme agua, bendita. But why? Yeah. What was the use? She would squirt it around the house. Andale. You know, she figured, if it works for the priest, it'll work for us. And my cousin Hugo and I would go. He'd steal it and I'd look out. And then we'd run home with this bottle of holy water and then she'd go around spritzing stuff. She figured we were good for a week. <laughs> An audience member mentioned that Luis Alberto Urea writes in English and is translated into Spanish, while Avro Enrique writes in Spanish and is translated into English. He wanted to know if they have ever read the translations in other languages and what they think about them. I, I tried to read the Hebrew one, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, you read it backwards. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what was going on. Um, Yes, yeah, I, I worked on the translations with my cousin Enrique for a particular reason, which was he was from Sinaloa and the people in the book, I'm from the border, and for a little while my friends used to call me El George Bush because they said I had a Norteño twang. They're like, you sound like a Texan. In El DF, imagine, they're like, Ituque. You know, so and I told him at the time, I've, I'm working on this translation and I'm going to mess it up because I don't understand the, the oddness of Sinaloa in Spanish. And so he took over. Thank God. He was a Mexican ambassador, type A. And he, he turned in the entire book done. So I said, great. Saves me a lot of and it made him a lot of money. So, you know, that turned into the family business. Um, I have read the Span, the Spain version of Hummingbird's Daughter. The, the Mexican version is called Hija de la Chuparrosa because it's Rancho Spanish, you know. But the Spaniards called it Hija de la Esperanza. <laughs> and I hated it because they tried, to, they tried to elevate, you know, ranch-style Spanish into a more respectable, beautiful Spanish, which was noble, but not the, the, the intent. Um, and I write, I write stories and, and poetry because I can be the captain of that ship and say whatever I want, whatever way I want. So I get it a lot of ways. Ivos? I, I, my work goes the other way around, no, but, but, but I, am, I have the tremendous privilege of my, my voice in English is Natasha Wimmer's voice. No? Natasha, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. No, 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 she's like the American translator. translator. She's, she's amazing. I... When I was told by my publishing house that Natasha was going to translate the book in English, I got, of course, a lot of peace, no? because I, I knew yeah. that I was in the best possible hands. But I thought, too, that it was a privilege, no? that it was an honor to be translated by Natasha. I have a lot of respect for the translator's work. 
but, but then I, later I discovered that the true honor and the true privilege was to see her work with, with the book, not to, to, to see how she produced an original in English. No, that was amazing, but by other hand, that, that I think means that I have to shut up. <laughs> it's, getting, yeah. it's getting closer God and closer. But, but by other hand, I, I, I have a very thick accent, as you're Spanish, that, that has a very Norteño accent. <laughs> I have a very thick accent, but, but most of my life happens in English long ago, so I can write in English, even when I don't write fiction in English. Uh -huh. So in, in, in this book, Sudden Death, I was able to, there are four chapters, maybe four or five, that, that are only in the English edition and that I wrote in English. No, so so that, that that ability to move through the two languages is, is it's an advantage in that case. No, if you put together the, the Mexican to, to, to go to the market, you know, if you put together the, the readers of Mexico and the readers of the US, you, you have a big bunch of people there and, and, and a, a, a very heavy amount of readers, of good readers. And and I think that, that is great that I can work in on both sides of the border. Mm -hmm. No but but, but I insist to see Natasha Wimmer translate is it, it, it was amazing. No, the, the the how refined is her English, her diction, you know, the, the the way in which she works with sense of humor, for example. I have a very Mexican sense of humor that is not easy to translate. No, mm -hmm. my, my years in graduate school before I understood how the American mind works. Not that I understand, but I understand a little <laughs> bit better, a little bit better. I, 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 I could get really deep silences every time I said anything because I was making a joke and everybody thought that I was making a criminal act. You know? <laughs> so so, 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 so <coughs> Natasha, she can work very well with the, with the Mexican sense of humor that is very peculiar and, and works in a very high key and, and is very dark and, and, and in general is scary for an American reader. <laughs> no, she, she can transform it in, in, in an American joke. Maybe it's because she's Jewish no? and the Jewish sense yeah. of humor yeah. is very dark too and very self-punishing yeah. as the Mexican sense of humor. So, so we work together wonderfully. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to a panel from the Pima County Public Library Nuestras Raices presentation stage from the 2017 Tucson Festival of Books entitled Timeless Fiction Without Boundaries, moderated by Dominique Calza, with authors Luis Alberto Urea and Alvaro Enrique. This has been part two of a two-part series. Luis Alberto Urea will return to Tucson for the 10th annual Festival of Books, coinciding with the release of his latest novel, House of Broken Angels. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.